Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt. When I'm hunting turkeys, it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meat Eater Podcast. We're going to talk about uh, binoculars, which I like to call knockers, and rifle scopes and all manner of hunting optics. We're joined right now by, joined by, or with, no. By. Yeah, joined by Doug Dern, Douglas Dern, um, and we're on Doug's family uh, farm, Casanova, Wisconsin, the famed Driftless area. This is the second installment of the Meat Eater podcast ever been recorded. These have been recorded in many states now. Many states. You get a lot of uh, you get a lot of states for your buck on this show. And Giannis Putellis. Multiple countries as well. Multiple countries. Also by Giannis Putellis. Um, I can't mention Giannis's name without encouraging you to go to his website and buy one of his t-shirts. Thank you. HuntEat.com, 24 bucks in stock now. Also by uh, Mark Boardman and Paul Neese from Vortex Optics. I wish we had the technological capability to broadcast live and take calls. I hate that kind of thing. But it would be good or not because people could call in and ask optics questions. You know? Instead, we will think of optics questions. And the first one I want to ask, and this is not this isn't the main thing I want to focus on, but we just we hunted turkeys this morning. Do you guys sell a lot of scopes to guys that hunt turkeys? I just don't get it. It's it's not, I know I shouldn't say that because that you guys are in the scope business, but I don't <laughs> see but other than it saves people from themselves and it makes them aim. Yes. I don't see I don't see is that a big part of your business? No, no, it's really not. We we sell a lot of red dot sites. And the red dot sites are probably, you know, a, a little bit common. I think guys will use those. But, you know, as you know. I mean, Explain what not, that is. It's just, it's a, it's a style of sight that projects an LED onto a curved screen. And so you simply see a red dot 
a single dot. It's just used at you know short range. Typically, and on you're a not shotgun, talking about it doesn't put yards. a dot on the critter. No, no, it's not a projected image. Uh, as you view through it, it it seems as though it floats out in front of the gun, but it's it's not a projected image like a laser would be, for example. Yeah. And what do you call like? Just explain that difference. Where, where you see where you got a light that shoots out. Yeah, that would be a that would be a laser. That's a laser. And the sight. difference would be if you if you look in many fish and game regulations, for example, a projected light is is typically illegal to use. And that's you know, that is a laser beam. So if you if you were using that, say on a turkey and you look, there would actually be a red dot on the on the turkey. That another guy the would the, the dude next to you would be able to see it. Someone the red dot. else could see it just as yeah. well, right? Mostly right. that stuff's just probably found on like the pistols and stuff right for defense yeah it is it's used on handguns a lot you know the the advantage to a red dot sight it's it's very quick and easy to use you know they're not you don't have to line anything up um the way that they operate they're they're parallax free so i'm talking about the actual laser one where would you find that one uh, yeah, handguns, defensive guns. Uh, that's right. It's not yeah, like military and law enforcement right? for for hunting stuff, right? Right. So people will call up Vortex though and be like, "Hey, man, I want a a, a red dot sight for shooting turkeys." Yeah, they might say, "I want a red dot sight for my shotgun," you know. But it's something that you know turkeys would be one of the primary applications can you for that. you can sight in with one of those right yeah so if you're yeah, going you like because we've been we were just trying to explain this the other day like a, a thing enough I, I, guys don't do enough of this turkey hunters don't do enough of shooting their shotgun yeah as we I found agree. out today uh, i agree you agree. just like if you're gonna be serious about not not if you're gonna be serious about turkey if you're gonna go turkey hunting i think you just at some point you gotta take a piece of paper out there Put a magic marker circle on it and just see what happens because you will see where it is just always the pattern could be that if you were to make the center of the pattern at 40 yards, that thing could be, I don't know, nine, 10 more inches consistently left, right, high, low. Yeah. Yeah. If you had that, you didn't want to always remember. I was just reading this thing by this guy the other day. He says, my whole life I've been aiming high left. On turkeys because he's going yeah. to shoot. Well, you, you know, you think <laughs> what a lot of guys are using too. They're just using a you know a shotgun with an elevated rib and a bead, and they're they're just trying to basically center that bead on top of yeah. the rib. But you know, you move your head a little bit one way or the other, and it you know it, that pattern throws exactly. completely differently. So. so yeah, you could actually get like if you want to start shooting turkeys at 70, 80 yards, like you know with the right chokes and right loads, people can do. I imagine that that red dot sight. That would be helpful in that because instance, you could right? you could tune right. that thing in, you know. Yep. It yeah, would, it would definitely become an advantage at that point. And you talk about you know patterning your shotgun. If you really want to figure out you know what what the loads are doing that you're pushing through your shotgun, you know, red dot sight would be you know fantastic for that because you're going to maintain that consistent point. You of rule aim. out all that human error exactly, stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. You're going to be, and you, you might find yeah, like your high left or it's stringing a particular way, and you might find. That you want to change the turkey load that you've been using, you yeah. know, and find a better one. We the other day, me and Giannis, where we had some very inexperienced first-time turkey hunters, very inexperienced shooters, inexperienced hunters, going turkey hunting. We're like, well, let's go shoot a couple targets. I'm telling you what, it, uh, the first shot on a piece of paper. You would. This guy would have never killed that turkey. <laughs> no, would have missed him clean. Yeah. You would have been yeah. like, "What in the world happened?" <laughs> you know, it wound up yeah. being user error. 
And what's funny is at one point he had he didn't know but he had the gun on safe and he thought he had it on like he did he got up and never put it on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So which is instructive. Because when he pulled that trigger, that gun jumped way to the right. Uh-huh. And never went off, you know. And that's like I remember Giannis was talking about a trick where you just take you give someone a, a shell that's no good. No, you give them a rifle with with or without you know a cartridge in the chamber. Like, oh, that one's ready to go, right. when it's not ready to go. Yeah, and you just kind of go through a couple with, couple without, and you know pretty soon you don't know what's gonna. You just basically are handed a rifle. You are treating it as it's live, and you're you need to aim at the target and squeeze the trigger, and you'll quickly see who flinches and who, who does. Who's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's the jerker? Yeah. I I see it with myself. I've been shooting my entire life, but I'll see now and then. I'll have something like that happen, and I'll be like, I clearly moved that. I clearly moved that shotgun. And it didn't go bang because I whatever you know. Yeah. You gen if you shoot enough, you you generally know to some extent you know if if you've pulled that shot a little bit. But that's where I could see the red dot thing. Is we were talking today because we had a guy today um, hit a turkey that fell down and got him ran away. I think it's okay to name names. Uh, no one's gonna know. I mean, yeah, all right. Doug's best. Let friend. him off the hook. Doug Dern's best. <laughs> you know, well, Doug's protege. <laughs> Doug Dern's protege rolled you a turkey. You learned from me by ridicule. <laughs> Doug Dern's protege um, doesn't have a huge, the great guy doesn't have a huge technical interest in hunting equipment and gear and whatnot. Rolled a turkey. And um, I wonder, like, with a red dot, if he would have been being like, you know. One thing, you know, you think you think about when you when you aim for a fine spot and that, you know, that does definitely increase that tendency to pick a spot and aim for yeah, it. Man. And, you know, and a turkey course guy is going to center that up on the head and the neck. And But just having that small dot, you know, I think it would make a guy maybe concentrate a little more on that. Um, the other kind of neat thing about the red dots is, you know, when you look, you have a small window to look through that's about an inch square or so. And it's it's kind of a neat thing. Wherever that you you can see the dot, and you can move your head around from side to side and up and down. And and the the because the device is parallax free, as long as you see the dot visually, whether it's down that in thing the left corner, drift. the right corner, you'd think it would drift, but it doesn't. It stays constant to the image. And so all you have to you know as as soon as you pick that dot up in that field of view. And and it's on target. You're you know you're good to shoot, even if it's not centered in the window. Yeah. So they're you know they're quick and they're friendly to use. Explain parallax. That's one of the things I, I was going to say. The dumb guy needs to be told this what is, parallax. Like, I never means. I never actually understood parallax till I kind of understood it, but when did we spend? A, I, I spent a long time on the phone yeah, with Paul yeah, talking about yeah, parallax. parallax is and a I drew my thing. own analogy. We could probably spend a whole hour just talking about parallax. Let's not. So we don't want to. We don't want to get into too deep. <laughs> but but parallax is you know it's it's the it's the shift of that reticle or that point of aim on the target, and depending on where the focuses are the de- and the device are set at, that that point of aim can move around on the target at different distances, and so it you know it it, it leads to uh, inaccuracy. To yeah. Misses. So let me let me just let me just stop. One second to say like to 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 the to the listener. Imagine that you're looking, you're looking through a rifle scope, and you got the the crosshair centered on a bullseye. Something that has that's not parallax adjusted. You could move your eye around. Okay, Correct. so you got the, the the crosshairs are into the bullseye. You could move your eye around, still keeping your eye looking through the scope. You could move your eye around, and there would be a perhaps perceptible, maybe imperceptible to you, but the 
the crosshair will have some movement. Yeah, it'll it'll appear almost to just to float around and move depending on where the eye is behind the. And the that's when people talk about cons- like for that reason. When people talk about consistently shouldering your gun and doing everything the same way all the time, right. is if you bring your face, you could feasibly sight your gun in, then bring your face to the to your rifle and do your cheek well and look through the scope, and you might be different than you normally are, but still look like you're dead nuts, but you're not. Correct. But, and, Correct. And so parallax is a thing that can fix that. And, and I'll talk about like 50 yards, 100 yards, rim fire, all that stuff. Yeah, there's, you know, parallax, depending on where an optic is, is set at uh, when it's assembled, or some of them have adjustable lenses that, that can be adjusted, they'll be set for a particular distance. So in a, in a big game hunting scope that's, that's non-adjustable, typically they would be set at 100 yards distance. And as you focus on something closer or further than 100, you can see some of that parallax movement. Some rifle scopes have adjustments, uh, either a, in a, an adjustable objective out on the far end of the scope or a side focus. Do you guys make anything that doesn't? We make we make both. We oh, make do? both. Oh. The advantages to a you know a scope that does not have any sort of adjustment is typically they're they're simpler, they're less expensive. For a lot of guys, you know, a guy deer hunting in this country here, for example, you know, you're probably not going to shoot much beyond 200 yards. That it doesn't come into play as far as hunting accuracy. You're yeah. you're not going to get enough shift to you know to to miss the lethal zone on a deer. If a if a rifle scope, a magnified optic, is going to have a parallax adjustment on it of some fashion, it'll generally, not always, but be a scope that's 10 power or more just because that that parallax becomes more of a factor gotcha. at greater distances. And a rimfire scope will have a fixed. Yeah, and, and what, and what, can, what, what you can imagine yard. on a rimfire scope, of course, is you're shooting shorter distances. So a typical rimfire range might be 25 out to 50 yards or so. And so when we we have a couple that we do, and we would set those at 50 yards. And so there's, you know, at 50, the right on the money is you come in closer than 50, you could have a little bit of shift. And as you go out beyond 50, you could have a little bit of shift too. But it, it brings it closer to sort of the practical range that a, a rimfire shot at. You know, when I was trying to explain all this stuff in writing, the the image that kept that, that stuck in my head is like, let's say you're uh, you're in the passenger seat of a car, right? Good example. Good example. And you're looking at the speedometer, right? And from your perspective, it looks like you're going 35 miles an hour. From where the needle seems to be, from the driver's perspective, you're going 45 miles an hour. Right. Like right. you're just looking at different angles. And that's not, that's not entirely right, but it kind of is a little. No, bit. it does because what happens if you if you if you were to sort of look at the mechanics of that speedometer and the needle is obviously it's it's come off the plate of the exactly, the, yeah. the surface, and that sort of represents that that internal gap in, in parallax in the scope. If the scope is focused correctly, if we had that scope that was set at 100 yards and you were shooting at 100 yards, effectively, in your example, the needle of the speedometer would be just flush with the back plate. Yep. And then so you know, no matter which angle you looked at it, it always would be right the on. same speed. Yeah. All right. So we're on rifle scopes. But uh, prior to the next rifle scope, we're going to take a quick break. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. 
Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dogs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Dogs' place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them, to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like Black Buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. All right, so still on the subject, right? So, and Yanni, jump in, man. Jump in when you want. But I'm going to jump to another one. And this one isn't like, this isn't a huge thing because I don't get a lot of questions. Like, I, I'm in some way trying to relay to you guys questions that we get. Absolutely. From people yeah, that watch yeah. Mediator or whatever, listen to the show, or just people who are looking for advice. Okay. This is one that doesn't get asked that much. Let's not spend a ton of time on it. But why in the hell did Scopes used to have a one inch, okay, the tube? Everything used to be like a one inch tube. Or maybe I'm wrong. 
feels like it was. No, nope, there's still lots of one-inch tubes out And now there, you see like one inch, and you can pick. You can buy a scope, like such X scope, and one inch or 30 millimeter. Why? Or larger. Yeah, like you, what, like you, what, you, is, you, what you are you getting? You can now go to 34, I've 35, and there are even some 40 millimeter tubes out there, if you can believe that. So, they, And you got to match the tube with your rings correct. that you purchase. Right. So right. why... Why did why did this just so people could sell more stuff? Well, if you if you go you know when, if you track it back far enough, it was just as, as sort of this this the scope industry got going and built scopes in the United States. Traditionally, one inch was just sort of adopted as as a as a common size that companies were using. In Europe, thirty millimeter was was adopted, and you know those those two numbers are actually not too far apart. They were they were sort of a practical size and dimension to sit on top of a of a rifle. So were the Krauts shooting at American GIs with thirty millimeter scopes <laughs> during World War II? That's a really good question. I don't know that. My dad never forgave the Germans. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. How yeah. many millimeters is one inch then? To, so I can know the gap. It's twenty five point four. So it's oh. four point. You know, small small difference in there. Right. There are some, you know, what's really interesting about that question and widely misunderstood is that there are some there are some differences between the two. The big misconception about that is that the larger tube provides a brighter image to the shooter. That's not true, and that's it. Really, isn't true. It, that that really has nothing to do with the tube size. So, what are you getting for? Why? Like, why? Well, again, the history is that th- it was just one size used in one area, another, another. But there are some advantages when you look at these scopes that go from one inch to thirty to thirty-four to thirty-five. Obviously, that tube is getting bigger and bigger. Seeing a cutout of a rifle scope would would help to make this easier. But inside a scope, there's a there's another tube inside there. It's called an erector tube, and it can it, it contains the zoom lenses and the erecting lenses, which which flip and invert the image. That tube has to move inside the main tube of the scope. So it effectively gotcha. it's it pivots and moves up and down, and that's controlled by the turrets on the scope. And so what a larger scope tube can allow, not necessarily, but it can allow is a greater swing of movement inside for that erector tube. And so for the guys that shoot very long distances, they, they need to be able to adjust for a lot of bullet drop at extreme distance. And so the more internal swing is available in the scope, the more the scope can handle that sort of thing. So there are some theoretical advantages there. Now, that, it, I, had it, no, I had no idea. That depends. I had no idea that's what it, it was. Yeah. It, well, no. it's, you know, if you think I thought it, it was to make everything heavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bigger scope, bigger rings. Yeah. But it depends on the relationship, too, if you think about it, between that outer tube and that inner tube. And if the, if the inner tube grows at the same rate the outer tube does and the, and the movement is the same, well, then there's no advantage to it. Gotcha. So that has to, you know, you, you need to increase that gap inside. What percentage of what do you guys sell? It's, it's yeah. heavily you guys kind of like, you guys push the 30, you guys seem to like the 30 millimeter. Or am I totally wrong? No, not necessarily. We no. s- we sell a lot of one inch tubes. We have we we have a pretty strong emphasis on long range stuff. That's a that's a big focus of Vortex. Yeah. So in that view, those scopes typically are are going to be thirty millimeter or thirty four in some of the big right. heavy tactical scopes we do. Like a long, <coughs> excuse me, like a long range scope that'll generally start like at thirty millimeter. Like that'd be like. Generally, your starting point, and then, like Paul said, you'd go up into you know potentially a thirty-four or even a thirty-five. Have you guys started making thirty-four or thirty-five? We do, yeah, yep. we do yeah. right now. We have th- both thirty-four and thirty-five millimeter tube scopes. The thirty-five is is part of our Razor series. 
that scope, for example, has been used on some of these really extreme long-range 338 Lapua Magnums, you know, 50 BMGs, where guys are shooting out past 2,000 yards with it, and they're getting tremendous bullet drop. Gotcha. So they need a way to compensate for that. We had a guy with that scope that had a confirmed engagement with a target, <coughs> excuse me, and I want to say 2.07 miles. If I remember correctly, you mean a confirmed engagement target, like an actual, like a combat situation? No, it was, it was. I mean, it was, it was, it was like out of, out of range, like out oh, okay, of facility, I got, I got you, I got you. you know. But, uh, but it was like you know a big metal plate. Two point seven miles. That's a long way. Two point oh seven way out there. Two point oh seven. Two point zero seven miles. Yeah. Wow, that's a poke though. But so he used. I want to say, and I, you know, I could be quoting this incorrectly. That'd be like shooting a something three farms over. What's your head? What's your thing doing way up there, Doug? I was just listening, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to start breathing heavy because of all this scope talk, and you know, <laughs> Doug starts getting excited. optics get me so excited. So I, I just took the microphone away so I could have a little time with myself over here. Anyways, uh, Doug, I was be I like was shooting a Casanova before Doug Dern fell asleep. Oh yeah, I'd be shooting a deer in town. <laughs> from yeah, here. This is a long drive. <laughs> well, on Doug, Doug's drive. place here, I bet you'd be pushing it to get a 300-yard shot. Probably. You long. might have a spot or two, but, you know, and you, so we think about that 2, 2.07 miles. That's in the neighborhood of 3,500 yards. Yeah. So that's I remember when I was a kid, my brother difference. shot a deer 170 yards. It seemed like this unfathomable distance. It was like unfathomable distance, I guess. My father shot a deer on this farm at a quarter of a mile. All the way across the 40. One Ooh, shot. Yeah, so there's, there he stretched it further than that. That is why he is known as the quarter mile buck hunter. <laughs> <laughs> fit that, up, fit that on a vanity plate. He's got it on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Yanni, throw out a good optics question you see all the time. So keep them with scopes. We'll switch to knockers later. Yeah. Um, like all the distinctions. Yeah, I just had a good one. Well, yeah, the main one being like... No, you go ahead. I'm, I don't want to stop. I don't want to take your turn. No, go ahead. I'll think of a better one. I got oh, Doug's got Doug one. jumping in there with an optics question. So uh, I have vortex optics on my rifles. Say say I run vortex optics. If you want to sound cool as shit, I run vortex <laughs> optics on my rifles. And uh, God, that is cooler. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that when you hang out with Steve Ranella after a while, you start talking like him. Um, Very intelligently. In that, well, you know, that, no, there's a cadence and everything. Uh, BDC reticle. Um, I have a BDC reticle on one of my rifles, and I don't on another one. Deer rifle, both sure. are 30 out sixes. Sure. Um, and I like both. I seem to prefer the BDC even though I'm not shooting that far. How should I set that up? Can I, um, can I, can I, can I, yeah, I can't. Why am I, who am I asking permission? Great question, Doug. But can you take it a step further? Like, just explain what the hell that means. Yeah. That's, As it, opposed you know, to like, like, sure. start with what, start with radical and then, and then build up to Doug's question. Sure, sure. That, I mean, that, that is, that's a very, very popular radical that we sell. And it's a, it's a commonly used term in the industry too. I think everybody's familiar with a you know a reticle being a, a set of crosshairs in a rifle scope, and of course the you know the user aims with the target on the center of the crosshairs. What a BDC is that's it's it's called a bullet drop compensating reticle, 
And, you know, what we're trying to do is you, as you sight in a rifle at a fixed distance, say 100, you're adjusting the center of the crosshairs to be zeroed in commonly at 100 yards on the target. But, of course, that, you know, that bullet, as it, as it drives further out, it's, it's constantly falling. And so with increasing distance, the user has to find a way to adjust it for more and more and more bullet drop as they go out if you want to shoot past that 100 yards distance. And what a, what a BDC reticle does is it gives you points of reference on the reticle itself to compensate for that bullet drop at various distances. And to keep it simple, what, what we did with that reticle, and, it, and, and it's, this, is, this technique is used by other companies as well, is you try to think in 100-yard increments, which, which, which a lot of shooters and hunters do to, to keep it easy. We can't just put a, you know, a million marks on that reticle. So what we try to do is, is think about the rifle being zeroed at 100 yards and having a mark at where a 200-yard point of impact would be, a 300, a 400, and a 500-yard. And for distances in between that, the shooter would just sort of hold between those marks. And so what happens, those marks come below the center of the crosshair because what is, is that is you're shooting at increasing distances. What you're really doing with that reticle is you're, you're incrementally raising the muzzle of the gun, if you think about it. Yep. Marks are lower, so you bring the rifle up to line those marks up. And it's a little tricky because what happens is you're doing one reticle pattern and as any you know anyone who's done shooting knows there you know there are a million different cartridges loads bullet weights velocities altitudes temperatures pressures all those things affect bullet drop and so when we give you a reticle and it has these five little marks on it you have to keep in mind that those are those are drawn up and designed around uh you know, we we just crunched a lot of numbers. We looked at most of the popular centerfire hunting cartridges, you know, picked an altitude and a pressure and a temperature and, and came up with drop numbers that we felt could match the widest possible selection. Yeah, and your user, the manual, the user manual that comes with it, gives you kind of a way to understand. It gives you an overview of that, and right? And it talks about different, uh, does it even list like, like, like uh, I can't remember how you guys articulate it, but it kind of says like muzzle orders. Yes, it does. It gives you an idea it'll, like how it it'll, perform it'll, it'll on a fire. It'll, it'll break firearms into different classes. You know, say a, a a standard hunting rifle, a magnum hunting rifle. As you point out, maybe muzzle loaders, maybe rim fires, because those those different groups all have have very different bullet drop rates. And then within each of those groups, of course, you know, there are even finer rates. Um, there are there's one of the things that's really key about that, and I'll mention quickly, and it it is very widely misunderstood. Is that for the most part in in rifle scopes that are commonly sold for hunting and BDC reticles are they are a hunting device that is oh the yeah man. it's not a it's not a high precision tactical or target style reticle it is a big game hunting reticle that's the purpose of that they're they're commonly put in the style of rifle scope that that demands that. There's only one power that they function at, and this is this is. I'm a glad you're getting into this. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 I, but let me stop you because you're, you're going to enter into first focal plane, correct? Second focal right. plane, and I want to do that. But let me. I wanted to like set this up a little bit better. Let's just jump. Let's just jump into that. But for, before we do the first focal plane, second focal plane, I want to say about the BDC thing. What I don't understand on a user manual for your scopes, okay, that has BDC reticle. Which the I, manual which, which doesn't written most of. Yeah, the manual doesn't here. say <laughs> that those. If you're on the manual, doesn't say when you're on max power, it's one for MOA one five two five. Is it 
one, five, two, one, five, four, five, seven, five, eleven. Seven and a half and eleven. Okay. Yeah. Why does the manual not? Is that not a good? Like, I would uh, think that, that it may it may list that in there, but one of the it's things on, it's on your website. Well, but I was wondering if you guys yeah. don't if that's not a good way to think about it for some. It reason. probably isn't because if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna take a BDC reticle and you're you're going to adopt it and use it, if you if you start thinking in those minutes of angle. You're you're sort of you're transitioning into the style of shooting that would not typically use a BDC, and and this is you know this it's a little complex. But for example, someone who would shoot with MOA numbers, or if it was an, a mill scope, they would be MOA. I got I got to stop you one more time, and I hate doing this, but I just want to bring MOA is. Uh, imagine you're standing in a circle or a minute of angle. God, I hate trying to explain this. It's one sixtieth of one degree. Okay. Right. If you imagine that you're standing on a flat line, no, Paul, explain this or Mark, explain this. MOA. I think the easiest way I found to explain this is 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 people should there there basically there there are two formats that are used for for adjusting turrets in a scope or using reticles, and so that's either minutes of angle. Or milliradians, and basically they're two. If it, I think that one way that's always helped me to explain it is think about sort of a clock face. That's and what, what we're talking for. about is is angles in that clock face, and the reason angles are important is because if you think about what we're what we're doing with that rifle when we're trying to adjust for long range, is we're working with angles. Where you, you know we touched on that earlier about how those marks on the reticle drop down and we bring the muzzle of the rifle up. So think of it, you know, picture. Maybe like an artillery gun, you know, we're to to shoot further distances. We're increasing the angle of that muzzle, really, by dialing the scope or using turrets. We're bringing it up at an angle, and so what those minutes of angle or those mill radians are doing, they're representing that angle that we adjust, and they're just two different scales of doing it. They're just simply two different ways of calculating angles. But let me uh, but let me throw this out. Sure. If you're when people talk about if you hear a term sub MOA accuracy, yeah. What that would mean is that the rifle is going to shoot a less than one inch group at 100 yards. Correct. So if you imagine this angle we're talking about, 160th of one degree, it grows as it gets farther away. At 100 yards, the distance between the lines in that angle is one inch. At 200 yards, it doubles. It doubles at 400 yards on out. So if you have... MOA accuracy, meaning you can shoot a one-inch group at 100 yards, you're shooting a two-inch group at 200 yards, a three-inch group at 300 yards, a four-inch group at 400 yards as you get farther out. So that's what people were talking about when they say like sub-MOA accuracy. And and this measurement, which is like cryptic, plays into all this stuff. So now I'm going to stop talking and let you (laughs) run with, and let you run with what you were getting into. Yeah, what, what, what I was going to touch on there quickly, we were just talking about those, those angles, and those angles relate to the, to the marks in the reticle. Remember, we, we were going, why would you go from the 100-yard, 200-yard, 300-yard, 400 to the 1.5, 4.5, 7.5, and 11? And the reason I was saying, the guy that buys that BDC reticle, what he's looking for is a quick and simple way to compensate for long-range shooting. It's easy, it's fast, everyone can wrap their head around, I'm zeroed at, my crosshairs are on at 100, that next mark is 200, next is 3. It's very, it's easy to do. If I tell you now that, you know, on that, let's say on that 500-yard shot, 
you need 10 minutes of angle, you've just made the whole thing a lot more complex to that yep. guy. You know, now he's got to think, well, what, you know, you, you see, now you go back to the math you were saying and you think, you know, so how much drop is that? That works. And that's, that's commonly the techniques that are used by, by precision shooters. Snipers, for example, would use that style. You can use ballistics calculators that will take some basic inputs about a, a, a bullet's BC and its muzzle velocity and the, and the temperature and altitude that you're at. And they will very, very accurately calculate the bullet drop. And then that same program can take that bullet drop and it, it can put it can you know express it in minutes of angle if you'd like. Mm-hmm. It can express it in the mill ratings we were talking about. I use about. one of those programs called Shooter. That's one of yep. the best ones. Mainly out there. just to get an yeah. understanding of the stuff. But when, with, with the BDC, like I do what you say not, not that we say not to do, but I, in my bino harness, like I carry my binoculars in a bino yeah. harness. In my bino harness, there's this little pocket. And what I'll do with my rifle and the, and the load I'm shooting, I'll draw a picture. That's a, that's a very good way to do it. I draw a little yeah. picture of what my BDC crosshair, the reticle looks like. Sure. And I just so I have, for a memory guide, I take the MOA thing and I got my zero. So I do 200 yard zero usually. Yep. And then I have each hash mark, what it is exactly, what the top of the post is on the bottom. Right. Exactly. That's a good reference. And then I put, and I write down exactly what the half marks are. So my little card will have a thing. And I also put in the 100 yard thing. In case you wind up like shooting at a coyote or something, sure. right? I'll put like sure. the 100 yards. So the 100 yard, I know I'm a little bit high, you know. Then I have the 200 yard zero line, and then I have a mark for between that. It might be that the 200 yard zero line and the next hash mark halfway between might be like 230. The next line might be on Perfect. down the line, yeah. and there's enough numbers on there for me that if I was to look through my rangefinder and know. I'm going to look down and feel very confident, right? You know that I have that I know the whole. Too many of those no, numbers in there, just sort of just, that no, right but it's, balance. Here, of, I also yeah. know in my head, I know in my head the hash marks. But if I ever like feel like just just for sense of security, or if I'm in a situation, I know that I can pull that thing out, and I got like oh 200, 270, yeah. 310, yeah. and I'm never like going. I'm never aiming between those any more than just splitting them in the middle. But I have an array yeah. of things where, like, any animal that I have any business shooting at, I'm going to know exactly where to hold on sure. that thing yeah. without taking the cap off and start clicking that's MOAs right. on the scope. That's right. You know? You know, and the advantage to that, to using that reticle, is that's quick and it's fast. The guys that will sit there and use those ballistics programs we talked about and calculate those drops in minutes of angle, the, the downfall of that is kind of this slow, deliberate process. You, you have to, you know, first range an object, then you have to enter that range into that ballistics calculator. It has to then give you that correction. Then you have to either reference that correction on the reticle or reach up and dial it on a turret. So yep. it's slow, and that's that's the 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 big advantage to BDC reticles is speed. When it, when you boil it down, they're fast and they're easy to use. The disadvantage is they're not as accurate as calculating those minutes of angle or or mill radians out. And what you probably do is, you know, we touched on the fact that a BDC reticle is is calculated sort of. In, you know, it's it's putting a whole bunch of cartridges together and blending them and coming up with a set of numbers that, yeah. that gives you like a really yeah. general ballistics curve that's going to be common, you know, for, for, a wide for most big game stuff. calibers. Yeah, yeah and, perfectly applic- and, and perfectly suitable 
for the vast majority of big it game is. hunting situations. And the guys yeah. that want higher accuracy out of that, what they can do on our on our website, there's a there's a ballistics program called the LRBC, and that'll pull up. You have to enter some basic information in about the bullet BC and the velocity and, and environmental conditions. But you can go to a tab on there that says reticles, and you can do just what you described. You can pull up a, a graphic of that BDC reticle. And the slick thing about that program is it'll take the specific data that you put in there about the load and the bullet you're shooting and it will do the math for you and it will show rather than that simple 200 300 400 500 it'll do the math and it might display 225 yep. 335 it'll it'll and those numbers are exact so you can sort of take that to the bank those those are much more tightly tuned when you do that technique it just you know it's it's something everybody can do that it's easy to use you know it's it's out there right, i want to throw I two like, oh go ahead i was just gonna say it's good you can say you can take it to the bank but i feel like verification at the range has to be done it's what i've always, had i've had these guys wise, harp on me about that. always wise to do that yeah, yeah. We yeah. Went, i was shooting yeah. with these with mark and paul because i feel like too and many they were people like, you know what you got to shoot yeah to me, people plug those numbers in, like, I'm going hunting. No, you should plug those numbers in right. and go to the range, get some gongs out there at 400 yeah, yards right. and stuff, yeah. and check. Because it happens to me almost every time I go. I'm like, all yeah. right, I know, like, little calculator, it says four and a half minutes up. Right. I shoot that target three times in a row, and I miss it. Right. So I'm like, all right. There's, a, re- there's a reason for that. You know, what's interesting is... Those programs have gotten very good now. They're much better than they were, say, four or even five years ago. I mean, they've really improved. The things that change that people don't understand is even if you take a chronograph and you measure the speed of the bullet coming out of your rifle and your chronograph says 2,800 feet per second, you could take five other chronographs that same day and line them up and get a, a, a spread of different velocities. They, they typically are not very consistent. And so that has a drastic effect on those curves. And so when yeah. you pick a number, maybe you, ra- you got it off the box of ammunition or maybe you have your chronograph and you measured it and you throw that into that program, it may or may not be accurate. It may not really be telling you the true story. And the other the other key piece of information there is the ballistics coefficient of the bullet, the BC. And so a program is going to ask you for one BC number. And for, for your listeners, you know, BC number, that's sort of a way, it, it predicts how efficiently a bullet flies through the air. And, and basically long, skinny bullets with pointed noses and pointed tails are, you know, they fly the best. They'll and have stay a high stable, And they stay stable at lower velocities too, right? Right, right. They, and they maintain their velocity better. So if you took a long, skinny, boat-tailed bullet, maybe exactly the same grain weight, you know, let's say it's a 160-grain bullet, and you contrasted that with a rounded nose bullet with a flat base on it, if you went out at 500 yards and measured the velocity, that long, skinny, pointed bullet, even though with the same powder charge behind them and the same muzzle velocity, it would be traveling yeah. faster at that 500-yard distance. So that's a key thing. And, and the thing about BCs, quickly, that I was going to touch on, the program just asks you to put in one BC number. But the thing about BCs is they, they constantly change. That, that BC varies from the instant it leaves the muzzle of the gun. So that as, the, as that bullet slows, the BC number actually drops. Oh, is that right? So it's, you know, while the programs use a single number, it's not, it's not really what goes on. I, got, I want to jump in and interject. I want to back up a little bit and, and comment on something. We're talking about the, the thing I carry in my pocket or the thing I carry in my bino pouch. I want to give you like a real-world situation of sure. how, I, how I think about this. We were hunting coos deer, 
in Arizona this year, and at one point in time, like some deer stepped out. So a bunch of does stepped out at, I remember, 320 yards. Okay. No buck, but some does stepped out. Absolutely, I would have, uh, and it was a trail. It was like a little trail through an opening. Can't, yeah, it's just a picture. You're looking at a hillside, and the, there's a big brushy bottom. And the first thing you see is an open hillside with a trail across it. I hadn't noticed the trail until I see some deer walk down it. Totally, I could have thrown up and taken the shot, right? There's no buck. Then the deer walk away, and I'm like, man, a buck could totally just come walking down that trail. At which point, even though I would have taken the shot, I pulled out my little thing, took a distance reading on those does, and been like, so if he shows up, on one of the three days that I'm going to be sitting here watching this hillside. I know exactly. What, what exactly is going yeah. on? And I look, I'm like, oh, yeah. That shot is dialed yeah. because yeah. I actually know now. Now it's beyond like me being like, yeah, it's probably right. A coos deer is not a tall animal. No, no. small. small. Very, we're talking yeah, about 100-pound yeah, whitetails. Yeah. Very so petite. I remember looking at that thing and being like, man, if a buck comes down that trail, I know like got what him. I'm going to do. Got him. I know what I'm going to do. And yeah. I could have done it anyway, but you know what I mean? It's like, in that way, I use that thing. Now, another thing I want to throw in, we're talking about all this long, like long distance stuff and long distance shooting is controversial. It's, it not contro- much- it's not controversial to shoot long distances at a range. There's a big debate right now. It's like, what's too far? I say, it's too far when you wonder about whether you're going to hit it or not. Yeah, well, if you're or, honest, or, or you know whether whether you're going to make a good hit, yeah. So know, say the, hit the minute you that. take a shot where you're like, I wonder if I can hit that. You are definitely shooting too far. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I my philosophy on this stuff is I take I like to take long range technology, long range skill sets, and apply it in a hunting situation to normal hunting situations where. First time I went antelope hunting, my brother shot an antelope at 300 yards. Our response was, wow, he hit it, right? <laughs> Nowadays, it would be, I'll tell you exactly where I'm going to hit that antelope. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to shoot would, his that heart would, out. That would, for in a lot of conditions, would be a chip shot. So long-distance shooting for me in a real-world hunting situation is taking shots, like making it be the, where you know, you're like, I'm going to shoot his heart out, push that distance. Maybe it's 100 yards from you. If you got into the long range, if you got into all this thinking and the proper equipment and the proper practice, you might get to a point. I was talking to a guy the other day who teaches, you guys, you guys introduced me to him, the guy that teaches the Marine Corps sniper sure, thing. Sure, Tony. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He hunts a lot of, he shoots a lot of does on some farmland. Yeah. And he says, at 200 yards, I shoot him in the head. I'm like, I can't, I would never do that. But I'm like, he knows at, at 50, like me shooting a deer at 50 yards. I probably have the degree of certainty that he has a 200 yards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This guy teaches shooting and shoots, and he understands that stuff in and out. So for me to say, like, what's too long for Tony to shoot? Well, for his job, he shoots 800 yards. <laughs> right? I would, if you put a target at eight and a target at two and told us to hit the bullseye, I would be like, you gave me the 200 yard and him the 800 yard, I'd be like, I bet this dude's going to win the bet. <laughs> right? What's too far? I don't that's know. A, that you tell is, me. That that's definitely one of those topics you could spend a whole other hour. And on every editor, every editor on. at every hunt yeah. magazine yeah. has taken his shot at saying it, but it's unsolvable. It's just like it is. I've been trying to find a way to solve it, and it'd be like when you have question about where you will hit is too far. And for a lot of guys, I'm telling you, it's unfortunate to say a lot of guys, 100 yards is too far. Yeah, it is. You don't yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah. The the first time I ever hunted Wisconsin, I shot a deer in the timber. Is 
90 yards away. Actually, I ranged it after I shot it. You know, the guys came back and they're like, wow, man, that is a fantastic shot. You know, and I, I'm, I'm from out west and I'm no expert marksman. You know, I have a pretty solid understanding of the things that we're talking about right now, right? But it was just interesting to, for yeah. me to hear from them. Like that seemed like, you know, pretty long shot. And I guess, you know, for the circumstances in the timber, I guess that is a somewhat long shot. For sure. Know, but. but if you've ever spined a deer at 150 yards, I might say, man, you know what? You're shooting too far. Right? Yeah. Because you're yeah. a long, if you spined a deer at that distance, you might as well, you could have, if that bullet was the other direction, you just blew his kneecap off. Right. You're that yeah. far off. Yep. And I think, and I think you're. People always, they spine, and like, yeah, went down. You see hunting shows all the time. Some dude spines deer with his bow. They're jumping up and high fiving. I'm like, dude, you might have just shot was, that deer through the leg. That was a bad leg. shot. That yeah. was a bad shot. You're, you're yeah. that many inches off. You shot too yeah. far, dude. Yeah. You know? It's all relative to, you know, every, yeah. everybody's different. The level of equipment now is definitely better than it was before. But, you, you know, you make a good example, Steve. There have probably been as many deer wounded at 100 yards as there have been. I have seen it. I've you seen know, it all the time. I think, I think your definition of that is probably the best I've heard. I mean, it's going to depend on the individual, their experience, their equipment, their understanding of that equipment. All those variables, variables come into play as to how effective a marksman that person is going to be. And, and you can't apply a general definition across the board to everybody because everybody's But everybody's different. looking for that number. Yeah. I know, there are some numbers I, I hear. You. There are some numbers I hear. I don't even want to get into it. There's some numbers I hear where I'm like, yeah, that's too far. Yeah, and you see, you see it. I mean, you, you, you see that out on the internet and all the I, time now. When that's happening, what I'm thinking of is you – get there's a certain distance in a certain kind of country where you just don't know what the wind's doing over there. Right. And also, wind is a huge variable. It takes the bullet a long time to get there. Yep. And when you're at looking at a deer, it's let's say you're looking at an elk and he's traveling up a hillside. He's he's a bull. He's got a bunch of spooked cows strung out in front of him. Right. He pauses, looks back, pop. That deer could be into his. That elk could be into his second step. Should he leave? Should he start walking at that moment? He could be into his second step by the time your bullet gets over there. Right. If you're talking about a thousand yeah. yard shot. Yeah. Yeah, and they, you know, I, I, you know, I hate to even throw numbers out there, but that, you know, that range is is just that's a non-starter for hunting. It's just too far. It's just because there's far. a lot of elapsed time. Yeah, you know. All right, yeah. but let's hammer through some more stuff. Well, I got a quick question. Yeah, a little two-part question. One, I mean, we noticed I was talking to Mark because I was trying to get a new scope, and I was looking for a forty-millimeter bell. That's and, what I was. That's why I wanted. And to he ask. was like, man. Don't really have a lot of those. Everybody wants to fill 50 millimeters. And so I'd like to know why that is and if there's like a, this perceived um, benefit and what is the actual benefit, you know, to someone's eye or, you know, the hunting conditions. And what's the drawback? And then, yep, drawback. And then two is um, a big question we get in all the time is like, how much money should I spend on the scope to put on my rifle? Sometimes you hear, you know, double the amount that you've got into the rifle for your optics, you know, and for most of us hunters, I think probably 90 plus percent, including myself, rarely shooting past 300 yards. So what level of scope and how much money do I need to spend to like always be happy out to that, you know, distance, you know, if I'm never going past it, you know what I mean? For like the Wisconsin deer hunter. Right, right. Um, before you answer that though, let's just take a quick break here from our sponsors. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. 
is dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder, so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal.
So yeah, so uh, uh, in response to your seven-part question there. Uh, <laughs> That's seven? It was two. Dude, that was a lot of questions. Dude, you're asking like what objective lens, like, Bell's objective, like what objective lens do I want? What are the pros and cons of a 40 and a 50 and a 30? And what's too much to spend on a scope? I asked about there's, the there's difference between 40 and 50. Let's, 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 let's have Mark let's start. Oh, do all the damn questions. I don't care. We'll get through as many as we can. So, in, so objective diameter, right? Like yeah. I'd say in general, Paul. Just like to explain what that is. So that's, that's the diameter of the end of the rifle scope's lens that you're not looking through. So not the ocular. So that's the, I never can remember the ocular. Ocular is what your eye is up against. Exactly. And that holds true with exactly. binoculars, right? Yeah. Correct. Same, Correct. same yep. terms. Yep. Yes. Ocular objective. Yep. And yep. then they're just expressed in millimeters. So when, when, when you're saying 40 and 50, that's just simply the diameter of that in millimeters. It's, it, you know, it's how big is that lens as you look at it. Yep. Exactly. So, so in general, right, you know, larger objective is going to, you know, essentially bring in more light, right? So you're going to have better light transmission. So when people talk about rifle scopes, you know, light transmission is a really big deal because, you know, game is oftentimes most active at dawn and dusk in, in low-light scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with a good scope or good binoculars, it's, when you look through it, it's lighter than what your eye is giving you. Right. You could look at a hillside that's too dark, and you look through binoculars, be like, "Holy shit, there's deer standing over there!" Right. Yep. Right. Because it's giving it's giving you light. So, and I'm not I'm not an op- optical engineer, right? But so there's a lot of a lot of factors, right? You know, the glass quality. Uh, you know, is it fully multi coated? You know, the quality of those uh, those multi coatings. Um, the optical design. You know, I talked to you know our optical engineers at the office. You know, and, and uh, y- you know, I mean, really, optical design is really as much an art. As it is like a science, the, the shape right? of the lenses, just everything, and the, layout, and the layout of lenses, and the layout, and num- number, number of lenses, yep, number of gotcha. lenses, everything. So I mean that that is you know, but that is one one variable that does affect you know light transmission. So um, I think you know, oftentimes people you know bigger is better. You know, a little bit bigger is better mentality. You know, whether it comes objective diameter or or you know larger calibers, right? You know, but I mean, it is it is hamburgers, hamburgers, <laughs> other stuff. We have, you know, yeah, we don't really exercise good portion control in this country. Yeah. We maybe downsize our hamburgers. I'll no. give Mark a quick hand with that, though. One one thing that's really important to understand is it's it it is not always an advantage to have a bigger bell. It may give you a brighter image. It may not. Right. It, it is guaranteed that it's going to make the scope sit higher on. How does the it not give you a brighter image? Here's here's the trick. One of the things to remember when when you sort of calculating brightness through an optic, one of the most simplistic, basic forms of of estimating brightness is to divide the magnification into the objective lens, and that gives you a number called an exit pupil. And let's say you had a rifle scope, let's say it's a variable scope, you have it turned to 5x, and let's just say you have a 50 millimeter bell out there. If you divide that very simply, you get an exit pupil of 10 millimeters. You think Giannis can divide I that? I think every, yeah, that's pretty easy, everybody can do that. Here's the thing to remember though, the, 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 the ultimate limiting factor in all this is the pupil of your eye so that yep. light has to come through the scope, and before it gets to your, where you're, you know, the, the optic nerve and your brain interprets it, it has to go through the pupil of your eye. Even when you're young and your eyes at their maximum flexibility, you're going to get, at best, maybe 7 millimeters. 
So any an exit pupil that goes beyond seven millimeters, it 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 goes beyond the perimeter of your pupil. It's it's unusable. So here's the thing to remember: uh, that you. fifty millimeter bell, that that example I just gave you, we came up with a ten millimeter exit pupil. Well. Your eye cannot, it can't use 10 millimeters. It's giving you more light than you could possibly use. It's more than you need. So So here's the thing. You've achieved the maximum though, right? You don't have to worry about the the equipment's not your limiting factor. You've achieved the maximum, but you've spent a little more for the scope. You have a heavier scope, and it's a taller scope. So it sits higher off the rifle. Your head placement may not be as nice as it was with that 40 millimeter bell, which sits lower on the rifle. Right. Now the 50 does, where you have to follow that though, you have to kind of follow that rabbit trail of that. The 50 comes up with an edge at the upper end of the magnification range. So as, as you get, say, 8, 10, 12, 16x, now that 50 comes into play and makes a difference out there. Gotcha. So you have to think about the size of that lens in relation to the magnification that you want to run. And that's the reason you can look at a little 1 to 4 variable, that you know, from 1 power to 4 power, and that's it. It doesn't go any higher than that. And they're typically matched up with a 24 millimeter lens. It's about an inch in diameter. It looks small. Yeah. But that scope, nowadays. that scope is just as bright as as any equally priced 50 millimeter scope at higher magnification. But you haven't so gotten into sight, you haven't gotten into sight picture yet, though. Well, sight picture will you know that relates a lot to magnification. Lower lower powers typically give you a wider field. They're easier to see. But a 50. Let's say you're comparing a 40 and a 50. Yep. You always see more. Every, all thing else, everything uh, else being legal. Uh, you don't? Nope. You're, you're in a, see, another misconception is that, that that big lens out there gives you a wider field of view. And that's a, that. No, that all is, things being equal. Yeah. Same magnification, same scope. One's 40, one's 50. Yeah. You're saying you can't always see more out to 50. No. You, How many, that be true? Many times you may not see any difference whatsoever between the two of them. If it's a bright day. The, the image could look absolutely identical between the 40 and the 50. I mean, if I had my buddy run out of the field and I yeah. direct it, I'm looking through my scope and I'm yeah. like, he's going to shoot a squirt of spray paint on one edge and then shoot a squirt of spray paint yeah. on the edge, other edge of my view. And I do the same thing with a 40. He's gonna yeah. the spray paint's gonna line up the edge of my spear. Yeah, it might. That has nothing to do with the objective. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you wanna try a, you wanna try a neat trick, Steve. I'd like take, to <laughs> take your fifty millimeter scope out or any scope and, and restrict three quarters that objective lens, cover it. Put a cover on it. You could put a little pinhole through it. On a bright day, field of view is exactly the same. Really? Change. Yeah. All right. It's it's a great way to illustrate it. It's pretty neat. I believe you. Yeah. And actually, on a, on a bright sunny day, if you were to restrict that lens and allow less light to come through, you'd see the image quality would look better. Actually, it w- it would get contrasty, more defined. A lot of benchrest guys that that do that sort of thing, they actually will restrict the aperture of their scopes on a bright day for those reasons. So. All right. So why is it though? I know. I, I think I was I was talking to Mark who said it, like. I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about what people want. Right. People want 50s. They do. I, yeah. Is I it, agree are, they just, are they just wrong? <laughs> Many times they don't get the whole picture. You know, the things we're talking about here, the fact that it doesn't automatically mean it's brighter. It doesn't automatically have anything to do with field of view. You know, everybody wants a wide field of view and everybody wants a brighter image, but the 50 doesn't always get you that. And so, well, what does what does it get you? So well, what, like, here's what it gets you, though. Think about back to that exit pupil discussion. Yeah, at a high magnification. Let's some, say we've got a four to sixteen scope, very popular size for us. We sell a lot of them. Yeah, and, it's the per- and, it's like and, in and, my and, mind, it's the perfect. Yeah, at, yeah. Long, at longer ranges, 
that that scope's going to be turned up to 16x in mm-hmm. use. So you know you do that math now, and now yeah. even at 16x, you're you're underneath that seven. Your eye is going to use every bit of light that can come I got through you. that. Because you're di- so it's now, you're dividing 50 by five, 50 by 16. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now you're the point where yeah, that 50's doing something for you. Yeah. It's it's yeah. making a noticeably brighter image. Then here's a question that'll make smoke come out of you guys' ears, <laughs> or something. People always ask. I mean, often we'll say like I predominantly hunt whitetails. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it into a specific, but it's it's just like <laughs> I'm averaging a ton of questions together. I live in Missouri. I generally hunt whitetails. Every other year we go out to hunt elk in Colorado. Someday I'd like to go on a doll sheep hunt. <laughs> I can't decide what scope to buy. That's, you have to get, you have to get phone calls like this, and that's and that's you when do. I sell that person multiple rifle scopes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so let's simplify the question. I mostly hunt whitetails. Occasionally, I'll do a western big hunt, big game hunt. I can't be throwing tons of money at this stuff. I want to buy a scope. I want to get five, six, ten years out of it. What scope do I want? <laughs> well, that's a tricky one. I mean, that's, that's no, the no, sort just, of thing. But that's tell them what scope you want. I, I could probably sure. actually pick one we for could. me yeah, out, of, out of our that. lineup that, I, that for me would be the best fit. For Can that. I guess first? Can I guess, then Giannis guess, then you guys tell us what you think? <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll critique your choices. <laughs> Four to 16 by 50. What's Giannis's pick? Oh, you don't, we don't have to pick an actual model? No, no, no. Yeah, if you want, go so ahead. So we're just picking a magnification range? Okay, yeah. No, magnification range, objective lens. Oh. All-around whitetail, occasional no, western. Yeah, hunts whitetail every year. Yeah. They do. Occasionally, he, he, he goes out to Colorado to hunt elk. Three to nine by 40. Okay. Yeah, me too, probably. <laughs> no, 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 no. Four to 16 by 50. Just because I don't know why. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you mine, and I I concur with the four to sixteen by fifty because to me I find it to be like an incredibly versatile magnification range, and I always I always I like magnification, right? So I'll I'll edge towards a scope that has higher magnification. So, but to me that scope is like it's awesome for the tree stand in the timber. You know you can crank it down to four. And then you can also, you know, engage, you know, targets or animals at extended ranges as well. I've shot a four to sixteen to a thousand yards. Yeah. And shot deer out of a tree stand with that same rifle. Well, that's why I like it. And the three to nine is kind of the same thing. But when I'm walking around, I don't care where I'm walking around. I could be walking around out in eastern Montana, the flattest ground in the world. I carry my scope on four. Exactly. Yeah. Because yep. if you Good. jump something up, I never wish in a in a practical hunting experience. I'm talking like a deer stands up in thick ass brush, 25 yards away. I've never had I, on four power. I could find that thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I've raised yep. enough rifles to my face where I don't do the like look for it. Like when I'm looking at something, my eye stays on it. My scope comes to my eye. My eye doesn't go to my scope. My scope comes to my eye, and that yeah. thing is right there in the center of the scope. I've never been. I've never lost an animal. Or I, I would have gotten him with a with a one power scope, like it's all I always can find. I can find running stuff in a four power scope. Yep. But when I'm sitting there and I see like holy shit, there's like a deer laying over there. You know what's going on? Yeah. Can I sneak a shot in there? <laughs> Turn up to sixteen, man. You see like his yeah. eyelashes and stuff. 
You know, it's just like I love having it there. I'm always looking at stuff through there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I I would agree with Mark. That's a really good effective zoom range. You can kind of do anything with it. I have a you know, I, 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 I spent a lot of time hunting in the mountains. I have a tendency to like lighter weight scopes. So I would, my personal choice would be to give up a little bit of that light gathering and go to a slightly smaller objective, 40 or 42 maybe. Okay. Um, you're going to lose a little bit of weight. Um, you have that advantage that I touched on earlier. Typically the smaller objective means the rifle can, or the scope can sit a little bit lower on the rifle and that can aid you better head placement on the stock you 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 probably will shoot a little more accurately with that it's a pretty fine distinction though mm-hmm. you know that's almost my my sort of personal lean as opposed to someone right. else's um there's no you know it's one of those things are definitely not a black or white right or wrong answer to that type of thing you know i'm willing to trade off this and gain that it's so much exactly you know, i mean like I, I i hunt the mountains a lot and i'll i'll suck it up and take that that weight penalty because to me, like the magnification is like outweighs that advantage for myself. But you know, a lot of that stuff, like Paul's, like we're talking about, that just comes down to personal preference. You know, I'm not as weight, obs- like I'm not as weight obsessed as some people are because I find that you can sit around talking all day. This is a little bit of a digression from from optics. But you can sit around talking all day, like how many ounces you save by the scope or the scope, but dude, you want to talk about saving ounces? Do you bring a tent or not bring a tent? Oh, now yeah. we're talking about now yeah. we're talking about six. We're off on another pounds. hour's topic now. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about six yeah. pounds now. Yeah, it is. So it's, it's like huge. it's huge. I yeah. generally like I I don't you know like guys who are like cutting their toothbrush handle in half and stuff. You can get carried. Away I mean, with you got to get yeah. you have to have your kit so dialed at the point where you're where you're realizing that you're getting more miles every day because you ran that 40 millimeter and not the 50 millimeter right. scope. Like you right. have to be a very detail oriented backpack hunter yeah, with do. a ton of packing experience yeah. Yeah. where that some, is you know, the issue. There are some pieces of equipment when you think about when you're on a hunt, let's say you're on an extended, you know, eight, 10 day hunt that you carry every day, all the time with you. And there, you know, the rifle's one of them that, the, you know, the tent's set up, you're not packing that tent around every That's day. True. You're not packing your sleep. So there are pieces of gear where shaving weight off is more valuable than others in, in that sense. You know, I, that yeah, rifle I, you're going to have with you all the time. I did a lot of hunting with a rifle that I was shocked one day when I put it on a digital scale and the rifle scope combo was 12 pounds, 9 ounces. It's getting to be a yeah. I had toted it all over. And then I got a rifle where the rifle scope combo came in at 8.5. It felt like I was carrying a chopstick. Right. I believe it. But, you know, as you, was, as you well know, is, too, that, you know. That's like leaving the, the tent the, or not. The flip side, too, is that a lot of times those heavy rifles are easier to shoot. Oh, yeah. well. like, so there's all, there's, there's so many different angles. My brother shoots that. a big, like, I actually gave it to him. Um, he shoots a big, uh, what's the, what's the main Ruger rifles? Like 77, 77, sure. Things like a th- it's a 300 wind mag, big old yeah. thick barrel, heavy stock. He carries that thing every cause he goes, cause you know what? When I lay that thing over my backpack, I look through the skull and I'm like, this thing is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. It just is like, it's like, thump. Yep. you know, that rifle lays down there and you're not, he's like, I just settle in. I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you where that bullet's going. Yeah. Exactly. And on light rifles, you just never get that feeling. I've had, I had a rifle, we're getting wet, this is the whole other subject. <laughs> I had a rifle, I decided it was too light, had a different barrel put on it just because, not nothing to do with accuracy, I had a different barrel put on it because I just couldn't stand how light it was. It never felt settled in. But let's jump to knockers because 
there's not a whole lot to discuss on knockers with numbers. People are always like 10, like the most obvious one, eight power, 10 power, whatever. What's your spiel? Which, what, what, what's the Vortex spiel for a dude who's well, like... Well, those, you know, those, those are the two most popular magnifications, so 8 and 10. And, and you know, for, that simply refers to how many times that binocular is magnifying what your eye sees. So in one instance, something is 8 times bigger. In the other instance, it's 10 times bigger. Not a big difference. You know, I think it's there. You want to think of, of the terrain in the country that you're using it in. And and typically, Western hunters definitely gravitate towards 10-powered binos. You have a little extra edge, a little more magnification. You're using them at greater distances, typically. And so that ability to magnify something a little bit larger is is of benefit. The drawbacks to it are is the, the field of view, the image that we talked about, that you were talking about earlier with the rifle scope, typically in a 10x, if everything else is equal, it's going to be narrower. You're going to look at a smaller image when you're looking at something. So the guy with the spray paint cans. The guy with the spray paint cans, he's only going to see three quarters of yep. what he could see in the 8 power by now. And the other thing is that the, when you're trying to hold that binocular, what you're doing, you know, you're just picking up in your hands and holding it. The higher the magnification is, the harder it is to hold that thing steady. It's going to wiggle in your hands. And if you carry that to an extreme and you looked at a 12 or a 15 power binocular and you tried to handhold it, that image is going to be wiggly and shaky. And so you lose some of the benefit of having that magnification. 10X is it's to the point most people can hold them pretty steady comfortably. I disagree. This is one thing I have a very firm opinion on about this. I find that I used to not be able to freehand 10s. Yeah, I know where you're going with I this. Learned, I learned to freehand 10s. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I don't think, I really don't think anyone can freehand a pair of 12 powers. It dep- Without well, missing you, game. Well, you can, but it just, it, there's going to be a loss. There's going to be a loss. And obviously, you know, you're a big fan of tripod use. We certainly are too. You mm-hmm. know, I grew up doing that as well. Using any of these binoculars on a tripod, taking your hands out of the equation, huge difference. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Gigantic difference. All of a sudden you realize that, yeah, you put the thing on a tripod, like a pair of 10s, or yeah. 12s on a tripod, all of a sudden you realize that you're noticing the, like yeah, chickadees even the 300 yards about. away. You know, once, if you put those I, eight power binos on a tripod, they're, oh, yeah, they're much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Once I started tripod glassing, like now I, I don't like it if I'm not tripod That's glassing. Annoying. Yeah, it you is realize annoying. all the stuff yeah. you're missing. Like yeah. when I when I hunted coos deer for the first time, that's when I was like really introduced to you know hardcore tripod glassing, like really tearing the countryside apart, and that's actually like affected all my other hunting. Like I've I apply that to all my western hunting. Yeah, now. yeah, because you're like, oh hey, there's a quail a mile away over there. I just saw yeah. him run between two bushes. Yeah. You'd never seen that thing, you know. But anyway, but like, back to the A10 thing. I'll often say. And I'm going to let you have the last word on this. I'll often tell people, if I had to really be super general, if you hunt, like, the east. Eight powers. East of the Big Bend in the Missouri. I'd be like, eight. Yeah. Yep. Good, good advice. Good yeah. advice. West of that, they're, and they're ten. Not, and the guy with the eight, he's not going to go wrong if he takes that eight power out west and hunts. It's it's going to work just fine. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, you it's wouldn't a, need to go buy a new set of knockers. Size. Yeah, I know. We're on the same page on that. But sure. talk about 12s, 15s, all the crazy well, stuff. Well, what happens is, you know, we'll agree to disagree on 10s. I think that is the that is definitely a You think anyone point. can freehand a pair of 10s? 
not not to the same level of effectiveness. No, definitely not. You know, I wouldn't say anybody can pick up a pair of tens and they're going to be effective with it. You really have to, you know, as you point out, sort of learn the tricks. You're going, you know, you're going to tuck your elbows. You're going to brace your hands. You're going to hold on to your hat. You find ways to help stabilize that bino. Yeah, and, or and, that. And, what do you call you know, when you can screw the eye cups in and out? Well, that that would be something you would set whether you wear eyeglasses or not. Someone yes, but I find I used to yeah. dial them all the way in. And then put my finger for stability. Yep. That's when one I was of those, holding my binoculars, I would put my tricks. finger on my exactly. eyebrow and bring the cup to my finger. Yep. It would get a lot of stability like that. Exactly. Now I find yep. that I screw them all the way out, and I just kind of have a sweet spot where yep. screwed all the way out. I just know where they're supposed to be to. in my eye socket. Yeah. And it's just like shooting a bow where you have the same anchor point. Yep. When I bring my binoculars up, like I know how that eye cup right. feels. And I get great and, stability. And I would definitely, you know, that that is absolutely one of those tricks. You know, when I when I talk about using tens, you you they have to touch your face. If you're just holding them out in space and they're off of your face and floating there, you, I mean, I agree with you completely. They are, you know, very hard to use. You have to brace. They have to touch your face. Uh-huh. You know, I tend to, I have more deep set eyes. I tend to, I mean, drive them pretty hard on my, on my eyebrow ridge. To get where you want. But yeah. that's all, you know, that's what's helping stabilize them and make them steady. Or like, you know, when you let, like a picture that you're trying to look into a window with your hands where you make your that shape, little, like, sh- yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. You kind of like, you find ways of doing that that gives you a lot of stability with your, right. with your yeah. binoculars. And that, you know, having your hands up there too, you know, you're blocking that side light, that lateral light from coming yep. in on them. But once you go beyond 10, you know, it's pretty much, it's black and white at that point. You're, you're into the zone now that, that really you're going to get the most benefit by using a tripod. I, yep. You know, Ryan Callahan freehands 12s. And Giannis and I, it, I've done it too, and I talk bad about him behind his back. Yeah, I've done it too. It's because <laughs> we're like, there's no way he's free. No longer. Those <laughs> has, oh. he, has he sat down behind him on a with a, on a tripod? And oh yeah, oh, dude, yeah. he's done yeah. a, oh, yeah. he's yeah. done. He's yeah. like yeah. he's like a guide. He's done a ton of hunting. In our defense, yeah. we do it behind his back. We also do it to his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, dude, you can't honestly tell me that you're freehanding those twelve. <laughs> he he likes to set up with a tripod. His deal is this, likes to look through a tripod on a mountain hunt, backpack hunt. He doesn't want to carry two. Exactly. He yeah. loves yeah. doing, he spends most of his time tripod knocking. So, yeah, if he's walking up the trail and something catches his eye. Short, quick look. Yep. He'll he have a short, quick look. Yeah. I, I ran the same pros and cons, and I'm like, I value that. What is that? Quick look. To the point where I'm, I'm willing to suffer behind the tripod in order to have like a more stable, quick look. You know? Yeah, you're, well, you're, you know, you're definitely going to get more detail doing that. Absolutely, you know, he he may be able to quickly ID an animal, but yeah, you know, it's he's he's not going to see the level of detail that you will do. Yeah, he's like he's like, no, that bear's eight and a half, not eight. No, yeah, not like that. <laughs> before I started really picking apart the hillside coos deer hunting and elk hunting in Arizona. I learned to use binoculars in Colorado from the my uh, the senior guides that I worked with, and their whole thing was as we were still hunting through quakey patches or the edge of quakies and timber, looking for elk that were coming out to feed. They're just like always, just bring up your binoculars, bring up your binoculars. You can only see eighty yards with your eyes, a hundred yards with your right. eyes. As soon as you bring up those binoculars, you just X-ray yeah. another. 20, 30 yards, and that's right. where those eights and tens, I feel like, just really a That's what we haven't even gotten into. I, that's, that's a good point. You could be still hunting for snowshoe hares 
I'd feel na- do even like this, this a whole other kind. It's great you bring that up because that's like a whole other kind of but not like all this tripod talk and all that. Not being like, oh, can I extend my vision to eight hundred? You know, right. it'd be like, well, what's fifty yards away? Yeah, binoculars yeah. have a great like. You ask any birder, people who will yeah. look at birds, well, they're uh, like, yeah. they're like, no, I'm talking about what's. I'm looking at a bird right. ten yards yeah. away, man. But I want to know is it, you know. Does he have like a slight yellow crown? Right. You know, right. so that's the whole other aspect of 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 using binoculars is like finding deer in the brush, yeah, yeah. right? That are laying right and hiding in plain sight, right? Know? Yeah, and that's you know that's the reason that you know people will end up with different sizes of binos, and yep. you know going back to the rifle scopes, you know that we sell guys four or five, six different rifle scopes because at, at the point that you can afford to do that kind of thing, of course, you can. You know, you can key on specialties doing it. So when a guy's saying, like, when a guy's kicking around, he's like, I'm going to buy eight, let's say, let's say eight by 32. How, how does it usually go? Like, there's usually, like, around 30, some variability, around 40, yep. around 50 objective lens. Yeah, that's pretty common. And right. when you hear, when someone says an eight by 40, eight by 50 binocular, what they're talking about is eight power, Right. 50 millimeter objective lens. Right. Just the same way the rifle scopes were on the. If you're weighing between 40 and 50 objective lens, is it fair to say you're just asking yourself a weight, a weight and clunkiness versus image quality? Or is it more complicated than that? It's maybe a little more complicated than that. You know, you can you can use those same exit pupil numbers we talked about earlier, dividing magnification into objective lens size to get kind of a crude way of estimating brightness. And typically the binos are all, they're not going to go much beyond that that seven millimeter range. So they're typically, they're all going to give you a, a, a workable range where there's concrete benefit from going from that 32 to the 40 to the 42 to the 50. But for each user, you have to, you know, you have to decide on that because as that lens goes from 30 to 40 to 50, you can envision that the size and the weight of that binocular go up correspondingly. So while you do, you know, you do increase the low light performance by doing that, you, you know, you're carrying, packing around a larger, heavier binocular, typically a longer binocular when you go to those bigger objective lenses. So there's always a, there's a, there's just a trade-off in there, and, and everybody comes in at a different spot. Someone who would buy, a, you know, a lower-powered binocular with a big objective lens, obviously you're buying something there that's made to really be focused on low-light performance. Yeah. And the trade-off is it's probably going to be a, a bigger, heavier binocular you know that's not all that practical during daytime use. So it's you know it's a matter of picking what matches what you're doing, what yeah. works best. You know what what activity are you doing? I've found that through the years, as I've gotten more interested in glass and more interested in glassing and optics, I've found that I've gone, I've tended to go in binoculars higher magnification from eights to tens, mm-hmm. and then bigger objective lenses. Yeah, part of it was switching to a bino carrier. Sure, makes a, a bino lot carrier like yeah, yeah. just around your neck, you feel those ounces. In a bino carrier, it's kind of like honestly, if I'm walking around with my bino carrier on, camouflage and you like pretty well, yeah. and you and you, I couldn't tell you if you like secretly switched mine to a fifty, I wouldn't know until I pulled them out. Right, it's just, right. It's just like it's just not there. It's like yeah. the weight's distributed. When you're crawling, they're not like banging yeah. you in the nose and very you know I mean? valuable piece of gear. You yeah. wind up getting a good carrier. 
And you can carry a hell of a lot more binocular, and it just doesn't bother you. you know? There's yeah. one other thing we should hit on really quickly, Steve, because as, as we've chatted through this, I keep meaning to say that. And one of the things, you know, for example, in, in our lines of binoculars, we have four or five different tiers of binoculars. That's what I wanted to ask you and about. And you see the same size, say that 10 by 42 repeated in one series and the next and the next and the next. And we get that question a lot about why is that? What, no, I want, that, that was actually the last there, question you know, I wanted to ask different you. 1042s. And, and what's really important for people to understand when we talk about brightness and exit pupils and these quick ways of calculating that, the one thing that they can't take into effect or take into consideration is the quality of the piece and the who quality, can't take into consideration the, the user or okay. the fellow applying those mathematical formulas. So you could you could take let's say let's say at a ten by fifty binocular, fairly common size. You do the math. You have that five millimeter exit pupil. You let's say you you took a binocular that maybe retailed for a hundred dollars and contrasted that with a high end binocular that say retailed for two thousand dollars. Same exit pupil exactly between the two of those, that five millimeter exit pupil. And so someone might say, well, that's the same number. These should be equally bright binoculars, right? They, you know, they both come out ahead in the same formula. But the, the thing about optics is the, the quality of glass that's used and the quality of the coatings that are applied to that glass and how many of those coatings are applied and the, 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 you know, the design of the optic, the layout of the lenses, how many lenses are used in there. Those are all at least as important as those simplistic numbers yeah. of calculating exit pupil, and that there's no way you can't you can't build that into that formula, and so that expensive ten by fifty very typically is is going to drastically outperform that you know that less expensive model. Is it easier for you guys to answer the question, what makes shitty optics shitty, or what makes good optics good? I think it's easier to, to concentrate on the on the good. Okay, you know, what makes good optics good? Well, it's, I it's, get all the time like, yeah. why in the hell would I spend eight hundred bucks on a pair of binoculars? <laughs> I'm like, because they look better. Yeah, it's you know if you think you about look it, through them and you're like, build, that's where my money went. It, it is, yeah. You know, building the thing, it's it, if you can build something tighter and the mechanical tolerances are tighter and those lenses are more precisely held in a line, it's going to increase optical performance. It's going to make the piece more expensive to build, whether it's a binocular does it, does it or a Does it affect durability? It could. It yeah, sure could, yeah. yeah. Um, the quality of the glass that's used, you know, there's glass is a, is a simple commodity. It can, it can be had in very low-end form, formulations that are full of chromatic aberration and, and, and distortion. It varies widely. Coatings that are applied to the glass have a huge effect, and and that, and what coatings do is they 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 reduce light loss to reflection. So as mm, as light hits a lens, a certain amount of it is reflected back off that lens rather than going through it into your eye. And so anti reflective coatings reduce that, and they allow more of the light to come through. And so the 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 higher the quality of that coating, and by increasing the number of layers of that that are applied. You keep bumping up that that light transmission number. That's so, where you get that term, you know, fully multi-coated optics. Yeah, you see right, that in right. catalogs all yeah. the time, and yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that's just way over people's heads. It it is, you know, it kind of you see it so often used that it just kind of blurs into the background. But that's what it means. That's what it means. The, yeah, it's, num- it's, the it's quality reduced, of and amount of coating. light loss is the idea. Yeah. Um. How long have we been talking, Danny? Hour and twenty. Not really. Okay, Doug. Concluding uh, thoughts, questions. Uh, Doug, you get off of quiet. 
Well, uh, he's just sitting there replaying that awesome turkey hunt we had this morning. He's it like, was fabulous. <laughs> how can that Steve guy just talk to those turkeys? Well, it like was he's it was communicating with them. It was it was incredible. <laughs> but uh, and and I certainly have a new appreciation for you, or, or uh, enhanced wa- enhanced the wider appreciation. I learned a lot about optics today. Before this discussion, it rem- I was thinking about this Charlie Brown cartoon about. Are you nearsighted or farsighted? One of the like Linus has glasses on, and and he said, "Well, I don't know. What does that mean?" And they said, "Well, nearsighted means that you see things close, and you, and they kind of explain it to him." And uh, he says, "Glasses make me see better." <laughs> 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 so all of this, I was learning. <laughs> What Doug, I Doug, know about he's boiled the, it down to the essence. That's right. Good optics make me see better. <laughs> Bam. Yeah. You you it's a leap of faith. Like you you're sort of no, it's not a leap of faith cuz I have this like I have this moment in my life that I always talk about where I never had good binoculars, okay? I just, I never had money. It's not that I Same. Like, It's not that I had tons of money laying around. I just didn't have money. Therefore, didn't have good binoculars. I was hunting caribou with this guy and he had just got done guiding on the Alaska Peninsula for a year. And somehow at the end of the guiding season, he came into a pair of good binoculars. We're sitting in our caribou camp. A grizzly bear is walking up the bank on the opposite side of the river. I'm looking at it. It's like a brown blob. I throw up Chuck's knockers. And I look through it. And I can see cowlicks moving across the bear from the wind. Yeah. And I'm like, let me see them sons of bitches again. Is. <laughs> what yeah. is that? I, I had an epiphany like that, too. I, You know, I, my background is guiding. I sp- guided for many, many years in the state of Idaho before doing this. And I, and I, I followed the same course. I went from incrementally increasing the quality of my optics every year. And I, and I had an epiphany one year. I was hunting with a couple of great big overweight Hawaiian guys that showed up with piles of brand new gear and boxes. And we sat out the evening we came into camp. It was an elk hunt. Climbed up on a ridge just that night to climb out and look. And I had a, a, a mid-priced pair of, I think it was Pentax binoculars at the time, decent decent optics. And this guy pulls out out of his case this this big boxy hard case, and he flips it open, and he's got a, a brand new pair of Leicas, which is a very nice high-end brand of optic. And he pulls them out, and we're, we're at that point we're looking into kind of a low-setting sun, tough, tough glassing. And I'm sort of struggling to see much because I'm getting all kinds of reflections coming into my binoculars. And this, this great big guy with zero Western hunting experience whatsoever picks this pair of binoculars out of this box. Starts and, blowing and, you out of the water with it. In eight minutes, he's picking out elk coming out of the trees. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I thought he was seeing things. I just could not yeah. believe yeah. it. And I had finally had to reach over and look through his binoculars. And, and it just, it was stunning. You know, lo and behold, I mean, elk here and elk there yeah. and elk there. And that, yeah, that imp- I mean, yeah. I still remember that to this day. It was, it, it really. Oh, yeah, it was like that for me. I came out of there being like, I don't care what. I don't care if I got to move into a new apartment. I'm buying good binoculars. Exactly. I say from that point on, I saved every tip I had for two years, and I bought a pair of the exact same yeah, like yeah, binoculars that, had, that yeah. guy was using. Yanni? Uh, my takeaway, and I can take it from what you guys both just said, and it'll be my closing statement, will be that to really see that, both of you guys ex- describe experiences that happened in the field in certain situations, certain light. A lot of, these, a lot of people go to – dicks or the big five and, and or sportsmen's and compare binoculars inside under fluorescent lights at you know max range of whatever that is maybe yeah, you're trying to read right. sorry you're trying to read an yeah. end cap yeah. sign yeah they all look great 
That's a good point. And they do not look great when you're looking into that setting sun. Right. It, it right. makes a huge, huge difference. So. Yeah, well, you just buy a bunch of stuff from Vortex knowing you're going to return it all. <laughs> Be like, I want one of everything. <laughs> a couple of days later, you get this massive return except for one bear. Editors mark that. That's at 120. No. <laughs> go to your sporting goods store and be nice, seem reasonable, offer to leave your driver's license and, and see if you can go out in the parking lot and have a look. And try to do it, you know, late in the day, early in the morning. Yeah. Like, you know, if you can. Don't just look at the end cap down yeah. the road, down yeah. the aisle, but go out, see yeah. if you can go outside. Yep. Look at it. Try to go look at a bird. Yeah. Do his feathers look sharp? Yeah. Does yeah. the point of his beak look clear? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. And Mark, and I, Mark Borman concluding the, thoughts. Well, this is just my one concluding thought is that whether I worked for an optics company or not, or whether I, whether I worked for Vortex, good quality optics are unequivocally one of the most important pieces of gear in your hunting arsenal. Dude, I, I know I've had like three concluding thoughts. I absolutely agree. I absolutely yeah. agree. I would yeah. rather, if you told me you can hunt with boots and no binoculars or barefoot with binoculars, I would have a very difficult time. <laughs> I'd be like, how about, can I get thick socks? <laughs> Paul, including thoughts? No, I, th I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of great things here. I mean, it's a, uh, hopefully it's been of use to some of your listeners out there. And um, Oh, yeah, I want to say thank you for just doing yeah, an un unbelievable yeah. job explaining uh, some of this, those, like, the 40, 50 millimeter bell thing. I mean, that was awesome. Yeah, and now I enjoy I, chatting I really about, know. you know, we, I just talked about that, that experience I had in the field. And really, at that point, it, 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 to me, that sort of set a real interest in optics from that point out. Yeah. I used them, and I progressed into hunting for bighorn sheep, which is extremely optics intensive. I, you know, I've had that interest and loving that ever since. So it's, I, I enjoy talking about it. It's been a lot of fun. Great. Now, now I have something concrete to refer when people ask these questions. We'll just be like, if you have an hour and thirty minutes, in <laughs> 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 an internet connection, I'll be happy to answer that question for you. All right. Um, yeah. Go to go to hunteat.com, buy Yanni's t-shirts so you look cool. Um Doug, if you got land you want to manage, Lone Oak Interest. Is that is your company named after that oak over there? Yes, it is. Huh. I'm looking at the damn oak right now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Lone Oak. Yep. Uh call Vor if you if a guy I want one last thing I want to touch on. If a guy has a question, he calls Vortex, someone answers the phone. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. This, this is going to sound awful, but someone who's like fluent in English answers the phone. Absolutely. All right. And they're you, welcome. The same questions we've been talking about here, anyone can call in and ask any of those questions. There are you know, any number of us there that are happy to help out. And if uh, you, the warranty you have is good for any optics in your line or not? Yes, absolutely. Like you buy it, it's just something not right. It's the warranty's cool. It's 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 yeah. It covers the original buyer and anyone else down the road that buys it. It covers anything really outside of losing it what or having it stolen. Your binoculars. <laughs> we've seen we, stuff yeah. come in with bullet holes, so we've already seen it. <laughs> that's that's a true story. So, but any like like I like that. You know, like, like the razor stuff is great. But I'm saying if someone just can't pull that off financially, he gets a. 
The same warranty. Absolutely. Same warranty. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't that that has nothing to do with it. So what's you know? Truly. So short of losing them, once you buy them, you're cool. You're covered. Yep. You are covered. All right. Um. Okay. Good. Thanks for joining us. Take care. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more.